Hey folks, welcome back to Shootside. I'm your host, Ferris Simon. It's good to be back and uh, apologize for the tardiness. We're late. Um, didn't have an episode this week and I was actually talking to some folks this morning, actually a gentleman at Boxell Manufacturing, Mr. Jonathan Inglis, and uh, we've been using these Boxell blowers and distributing them out here in California. And uh, we were talking about content creation a little bit because if you've ever been to the Boxell Facebook page, there is a lot of really funny memes and stuff that they curate uh, as a company. I think Jonathan does a lot of it, it sounds like. But uh, the thing about content creation is it comes in waves and it's a struggle sometimes. I'll go a couple weeks and we were kind of sharing this back and forth go a week or two and, and not really have any good ideas for content. And then one day it'll hit you and you'll have about a hundred good ideas for podcast episodes. So today my plan is to record this one. I'm going to try to record one next week because I'm or for next week, cause I'm going to be out of town and maybe one for the following week too, and try to get ahead of the curve a little bit. So we're bringing you guys uh, this content in a timely fashion. I, I really do appreciate those that, that look forward to it every Tuesday. Uh, before we get into the days, uh, before we get into today's episode, I want to thank our sponsors over there at SC Online Sales for being the title sponsor of Shootside. SC Online Sales was established in 2013 when co-founders Dave Geyer and Roland Shoemaker recognized the opportunity to take online livestock sales to the next level. And after investing 18 months of blood, sweat, tears, and capital building a custom sales platform from the ground up. SEO hosted its first online sale in the fall of 2014. And what started as a dream sketched out on a notepad has grown to a team of 30 talented employees with sales reps located all across the country. While their innovative sales platform that is very user-friendly and works on your cell phone better than anything else in the market is certainly an asset, what really sets SEO apart is their team culture and commitment to customer service. And I can attest to that personally. I've bought and sold on this platform, and it's my favorite one to operate on. Because of these things, SEO has truly fulfilled its mantra of becoming the place to be for online livestock auctions. Regardless of species, they too do semen sales, fulfillment, junior fair livestock auctions, and add-ons. The list literally goes on. Every step of the way, when you're dealing with SEO, whether it's booking your sale, submitting information, collecting settlement, or settling up on a purchase you made, the SEO team is dedicated to their customers, and I think that's what makes them so great. Visit sconlinesales.com today to view the upcoming sales, or if you have something to sell, book your next online sale. It all happens here, literally. So this week, and it wasn't my intention to do it this way, but this is gonna how it's going to happen, just because, I suppose. Um... This week's going to be a little bit of an extension off of last week's discussion. And I guess before we move on, I want to clear up a few things. Number one, based on the feedback I got from last week's discussion, I'm not the only person that's ever had a catastrophic uh, preg check day. Uh, believe it or not, there's a lot of us out there that have had those rough days uh, preg checking and, and not receiving the results that we would like. And as as it was good for me to hear from others to know that I wasn't alone, um, it was also, I think, 
helpful for some to know they weren't alone either. And and thank you for those that that uh, reached out and got in contact with me and said, "Hey, yeah, we've been there, this, that." And and there's actually some funny stories here and there uh, from people as funny as they could be in those situations of those learning lessons. And and I really appreciate that kind of uh, feedback and those types of discussions that. I get to have with the fans and the audience and the listeners of this podcast. Uh, second, we plugged my boy Ty Webster in last week's episode as he came up with this idea and he called me. Nothing to take away from Ty. He definitely was the conduit that that called me and told me about this idea of learning from failure and talking about failures on this podcast and such. But unsurprisingly, uh, after the fact you know, hindsight's always twenty twenty. Unsurprisingly, I found out that it actually wasn't Ty's idea. He was just taking credit for it. It was actually his wife's Carrie's idea. So Carrie Webster uh, had this idea for a failure conference and where people would get together and talk about their failures and their and things that have went wrong. And she told Ty about this idea, which I think we're all learning telling Ty anything that you uh, want to keep close to the vest is a serious mistake. So, Carrie, speaking of learning from mistakes, maybe don't tell Ty that kind of stuff because he gets on the horn and he calls everyone, uh, including myself. So um, I'm grateful that Carrie thought of this. Carrie, thank you for the idea. Ty, thank you for calling. And Carrie, if you ever want any help with uh, working on your project, or plug in it, give me a call. We'd love to talk about it on this podcast. And really, um, you would probably be a pretty good guest. Uh, you'd have to be better than your husband, Ty. I mean, it seems like he's taken all of your ideas anyway, so you might as well just get on and share them. With that said, like I uh, like I mentioned here a few moments ago, I had no idea what I was going to talk about this week. Been a little bit of, I guess, the... Uh, the equivalent to this would be writer's block. Sometimes I, I don't know uh, what I'm going to do from week to week, as we've kind of talked about uh, in previous episodes. And uh, yesterday afternoon, I had this idea come to me that we could extend off of what we talked about last week, which was learning from mistakes. And we talked about conception rate on some embryos and how I kind of got upside down or underwater on a cow deal uh, that was associated with that. But didn't know what we were going to talk about. And then we pregged some heifers yesterday, and it didn't go fantastic. So I was like, well, why don't we get on here and talk about it? And I'll kind of share you my thought process on um, how I am mentally going through sorting this out and trying to make this situation better. And maybe some of you guys can uh, identify with that, learn from this process, and also provide some feedback. Maybe there's some things that I'm not seeing because I'm so close to the situation that that I could benefit and we could kind of make this a little bit of a discussion. It's top of mind for me, so it's, it's probably the most logical and easy thing for me to talk about. So let me give you a rundown of what happened. And Today may be a little shorter episode than normal. Let's just kind of see how it goes. So yesterday, we pregged a group of 41 heifers um, 
five of them are my buddy Jay's and the remainder are mine. And these cattle ranged, um, we AI'd them anywhere from 75 to 85 days ago. And the reason we preg them at this point in time, our vet uses an ultrasound. There's some people, um, and maybe here's a nice spot to talk about some differences in, in preg uh, times and methods and what we've learned over the years. So I've done everything from blood testing them, um, pregging them at 45 days, and then pregging them at 120 days, the hand palpation at six months. I've done all that kind of stuff. And we've kind of landed on where we like to preg them about 75 to 90 days. I don't like to go past 90, um, but about 75 to 90 days. And here's the reason why. Um, when you do the, the blood, the, the accuracy is pretty decent when you bleed them and you send that off. The accuracy is pretty good, but there's still the opportunity for false positives and false negatives. Um, where if you have a vet using an ultrasound, if they are well-versed on how to use an ultrasound, that's, that's not possible. There's no false positive, false negative. There's either a calf in there or there isn't. Um, so that is one of the reasons I shied away from bleeding them. It does give you the fastest turnaround and the best feed, or not the best, but the fastest feedback in terms of number of days. But I think it's probably the least accurate in terms of determining whether there is or isn't a pregnancy among the available options out there, if you're willing to wait. It's fastest, but it's probably the least accurate. Assuming that whoever's doing the palpating, you know, has a good hand, I guess. So the other thing that I don't love about it is when they're shortbred like that within 40 days or so of breeding them, 30, 40 days, and normally a lot of people are bleeding them, I think it's I think you could do it as soon as 25 days. It's my opinion that that embryo that is in that cow, if she is bred, is still really fragile. And then banging around in the lane and in the chute or gathering them or just inducing any sort of stress into their environment is not a good thing. So I just really don't like handling them. And I guess it'd be one thing if you're group of cows is a bunch of old show heifers that you could go out and catch them in time to the fence post and, and draw this blood or really, really slow moving cattle, or maybe they're coming up to eat and you just kind of shut the gate type situation. In those instances, it probably makes some sense. Uh, in our scenario where you got to go gather them and not to say that our stuff is wild, but they're, they act like unbroke cattle and some of them will hit a head gate hard or some of them will bang in the lane a little bit. I don't like handling them during that time or at all. So that's another reason I shy away from bleeding them. We used to preg them about 45 days, maybe 60 days. Um, at 45 days, you can see, you know, have a pretty good idea of, of, uh, 
AI safe or not AI safe or embryo safe or not embryo safe because there will be something there or they won't be able to see it because as soon as the ultrasound can pick anything up, I think it's 28 or 30 days, they can see some fluid, even though a 28 or 30 day pregnancy isn't something that I'd be super confident about so early. 45 days is about the earliest that I would have any sort of confidence in that pregnancy. What we found out is we would go through and preg those cows or heifers or whatever at 45 days and we'd be all pumped up with our breed up or whatnot, but you still will have some embryonic loss between there and 90-ish days. That first trimester, you'll still have a cow lose that embryo, lose that calf. Um, That's still considered pretty early on in the pregnancy, which is why we've shifted all of our preg Uh, dates back via ultrasound to about 90 days because 85 days because if you can identify that pregnancy at that time it is still within the range that you can feel confident that's an AI or ET safe calf and what I mean by that for those that are unfamiliar with that terminology it's that one's that embryo's age corresponds with the date that you bred that cow. Or you can tell the difference between those safe ones and the ones that are 21 days back or 42 days back if they got hit by a bull. It's really easy to see the difference in those ages of embryos relative to if you pregged them between 90 and 120, from my understanding, is 120 day old pregnancy looks similar to a 90 day like that range is really hard to decipher small differences and the bigger you get the harder it seems to get those yeah that one's ai safe or that one is one cycle back so that's why we kind of cut it off at 85 days so we ran these heifers through they're 85 days, and there was another group that we bred about 73, 74 days. And, but they were all in the same group, 41 heifers. And some days when you're running stuff, when you get started, you can kind of get a rhythm and a feel of how it's going to go. And maybe I'm, maybe I'm the type of person that kind of works off momentum. And, uh, you know, maybe, maybe if Natalie's not on here with me today, but maybe she would attest to this, but you know, I'm, maybe I'm the type of person that if I stub my toe and then spill coffee on myself and then, um, you know, whatever, get cut off at the intersection all within the first hour and a half in the morning, I'm going to be grumpy for a little while and, and work off that momentum until the day proves otherwise. And I really shouldn't be that way. Vice versa, if some good things happen to me in the morning, it kind of sets me up for success for the rest of the day. Maybe that's uh, some personal stuff I need to work on. But nonetheless, when I'm pregnant these cows and or any cows, it seems like that first load that you have in the lane kind of will set the tone sometimes for what that day looks like. And the first four through the shoot were not AI safe. They were bull bred one cycle back. And you kind of get that uh, feeling like uh, grinding your teeth. I don't think this is going to go that good. 
I, I really don't think we're going to achieve our goals today because what are our goals? Our goals are a 70% breed up on our AI, and then we want 100% of these heifers bred. Like That's the goal. And that's the latter is rare, but regardless, uh, and the reason I say it's rare, I know I'm bouncing around a little bit here, is you're going to encounter, you. Sh- I think your heifers should have a worse breed up than your cows. The reason being, even though the heifers are the most fertile group in your herd, you haven't identified any of the problems yet. You haven't identified any of the problem animals of like that one's a non-breeder or that one. Well, hopefully you've identified the bad acting ones. We struggle with that around here sometimes, but hopefully you've identified the bad acting ones or the hard doing ones or whatever. But in terms of reproductive health, you haven't figured out yet which ones are and aren't going to do it. And that's always the struggle. So I find that the, the group of heifers will have a worse breed up relative to the cows. And it should be that way because by the time they're cows, you should have eliminated all of your problems. It's hard in this business to do. And I'm going to get to a little bit of why here later. It's harder to do, at least here. But technically, I think your cow should have a better breed up because you should have no more problems. They should be gone. They should be beef or literally anything else other than members of your herd. So we start running these things through and it, the first group, uh, the first draft five or six through the lane were bull bred. I think we had one AI safe and we kind of keep running them through and never really caught any momentum. And, uh, sometimes you can just feel it coming. And it was one of those preg days that I hate to say it was bad. And the reason I don't think it was bad is because 80 something percent of the cattle were bred in the first two trimester or first two cycles. So the reason why I think that is good is we start breeding our heifers to calve two to three weeks before the rest of our cows, because when you calve those heifers, they need more time to to kind of get right before they join the cow herd. When you calve heifers, they're still growing. They need more time to heal up. They're still maturing. So you want to calve them earlier and then let them settle in to the the remainder of the cow herd. So 80% of these 41 heifers are going to calve at the front end of our calving season, which the cows around here start calving February 1st. The heifers normally start calving around January 15th. So even though our goals of a 70% AI conception rate was not met, the goal of actually getting them bred early, which may be the most important thing, bred early to heifer safe bulls was achieved. So it's really, I feel petty perhaps complaining that we had a bad day because 80% of them 80, it was 80 or low 80s bred up early in in the calving season. So they're going to calve on time. They are hopefully going to roll into the cow herd next year. 
and be ready to go for a lifetime of success. You don't want these heifers cabin really late because then it feels like they're behind for the rest of their life unless you roll them around. Generally speaking, I think we had, of the 41, we had five rechecks, but we're still only a couple weeks out from pulling the bulls, so a couple of those could have been shortbread that the ultrasound just didn't pick up. But what really bummed me out was we were 50-50 on our AI conception rate. Bummed out maybe is a word frustrated is probably a better description. And I don't know about anyone else. I, I, I think maybe this is accurate because I've heard other people say this. And, I, and it was my first instinct too. Like I must have got some. I must have got some bad semen because when you're kind of rolling through there, I wasn't, you'd see a little bit of, Hey, this bull missed here, this bull missed there. And you're frustrated and you're kind of getting some, a little bit of a rage built up and you're, you're thinking I must, this semen must have not been good. And I think generally speaking, that is a, a misinformed statement. Uh, here for sure and most places and, and let me explain why and why maybe we should not jump to that conclusion at least here 99 percent of the semen we buy is from direct from a distributor so or directly from the person that owns the bull so the number of people that have handled that semen is minimal uh, generally uh, I would feel very confident saying that the purveyors of this semen, whether it's a distributor or owner of this bull, is well-versed in semen handling uh, technique. And if the shipper shows up to your house cold and you're not a buffoon unloading the shipper and you handle it correctly and you probably don't have a semen issue. And really when I went through and uploaded all the information into cattle max, it wasn't definitely not the semen. And let me build on it. Three of uh, we bred to four different bulls. Three of the bulls we've used before with great success. We had one new bull and that was the bull I wanted to blame. That bull has collected it. And I knew how stupid this sounded, but that bull's collected it. Maybe my favorite bull stud in the country. And it was it was a very good cross-section of 50-50 conception rate. It didn't matter what bull it was. We got 50-50 conception rate. My point to all of that is, is generally speaking, unless you're buying your semen, you know, on the second-hand market a lot, where that stuff's had a lot of tank bounce, what I mean by that is move from tank to tank to tank over time, and you don't really know its history. It's not like there's Carfax for for semen and you're not a hundred percent confident it's handling history. I find it to be unproductive to blame the semen because generally speaking, um, the stuff isn't that, isn't that bad. It's normally pretty good. And we all know there's, it's an easy scapegoat, but generally speaking, I think that's an unproductive route to take, but it's the first route to take. And I did it yesterday too. But once I settled down, like, yeah, quit being a moron. It's not the semen. Um, I was like, well, maybe it's maybe it's the technician. Maybe my technician isn't any good. I'm the technician. 
And I'd like to think that I know what I'm doing. I've bred enough cows over the years. I was like, well, maybe I need a refresher. But then because we haven't preg checked the cows yet, our AI cows, we're going to preg check in two weeks, two or three weeks. And uh, all the embryos that went in at the same time, and I was like, boy, I hope, uh, I hope I know what I'm doing in there. And then I realized that I breed all my own donors. And when we're setting those up, because we do almost, I would say 99.9% conventional flush work around here. So we have to breed those donors. And for the last year or two, we've been getting along extremely well. I'm obviously putting the semen in the correct place. I am a little gun shy on Thursday, the, uh, the seventh. Well, yeah, the no, the eighth here in two days, uh, we're flushing six of them. So I think I'm good at, uh, depositing the the semen in the right spot but maybe next week we'll have another lessons learned podcast where we're like oh yeah we got slaughtered on our flush um on those cows that we sent up there so as of this point i don't think it's the technician i think i know what i'm doing but like i've said before right when you think you know what you're doing in this business you learn you probably don't so one to blame the semen and then wanted to blame my protocol, and I think it's probably not the protocol, but I, th- you know, that's also another easy scapegoat. Perhaps the implementation of the protocol is an issue, and we'll talk about that a little bit. And what made all this extremely frustrating, I was talking this over my vet, because as we discussed last week, you learn from these these instances and and we're trying to be better. And and these things are, I don't want to say they're inevitable because with time, patience, improvement, you can work on these things and and shore stuff up, but you're going to run into stuff every now and again. And this was one of them because we want to get more of them AI bread. Let's face it. And unless you're someone with an incredible bull battery, AI calves are always going to be more valuable than your, most of our herd bull lineup. And you want more of a AI bread, not only because they're going to be calving earlier, you're not missing that cycle, you're not missing that time, but the value of the calf is better. I'm not going to, I'm not going to sit here and think that the value of my herd bulls calves are going to be as good as some of these AI bulls that we're using. If that was the case, I wouldn't even AI. And maybe that goes into a whole different discussion uh, like we had a couple weeks ago that I need to keep more bulls back and breed more stuff. And that's probably true. But at this point in time, I'm not set up to do that, and uh, maybe maybe we'll be next year, but right now we're not. So we're AIing, and we're upset that we didn't get more of them AI bred. But my frustration lies in the fact that I thought that I had the body condition and the feed and nutrition management of these heifers absolutely on point. Um, we the way we developed them this uh, this winter, we fed them a little bit longer than we normally do in letting the in the uh, I think we fed them in the middle of January. I'd have to look at my notes. The ration that we fed them into the middle of January, I thought um, they looked as good as they ever did when we turned them out on grass. Remember from last episode, our grass season is in the winter time, so we turn them out in grass right after the turn of the year. Let a nice stand of forage get out there. I thought they were in a lot 
uh, better condition than they ever had. What I mean by that is normally I get them too fat. So when I turn them out on grass, they, they roll back really bad. Like it's a bad shock to them. And this year that didn't happen because I had those cattle in a leaner, more athletic condition when I turned them out, put them out there with some Purina Accuration tubs uh, that I'm a really big fan of, not sponsored by Purina, but uh, it's a good product. That's a great product in my opinion. So turn them out there on those tubs because that grass was still a little bit immature, a little bit washy. Did have some dry forage or some dormant forage out there, a little mixed uh, forage system. And the cattle did great. And when we were breeding on them, I thought their body condition as good as it ever was. And we were slower to start feeding them late spring, early summer than we usually are because I thought the cattle looked good. And again, I normally get them a little bit too fat. And we fed them lighter than we have in years past because, again, I think I get them a little too fat. And didn't really like the way that that they looked late summer in the last couple of years. So I was really proud of the way we managed them nutritionally. And I thought I was giving them everything they needed. And then we didn't have a good breed up AI wise. And so the way I'm working through this in my mind is yes, our 50, 50 conception rate on AI was not desirable but if my nutrition plan was that bad, I wouldn't have had any of them breed or it would have been worse because 80% of them got bred on the next cycle. The bull was out there. He was doing work. So for whatever reason, that first slug of them, that first chunk that I, their first heat that I was AIing on, we, we weren't as fertile. So what were we doing to decrease the likelihood of them breeding in that first uh, first little episode or first uh, when we set them up? And this is where I get into what I was talking about, where I think it was my protocol, but not my protocol. It, it, it's the circumstances around my protocol. So let me take you in a walk down memory lane to explain to you how I got to the protocol we're at now that I'm using for these heifers and then how I'm going to go forward. So recently we're breeding a lot more as we've grown, we're breeding a lot more heifers than we used to four or five years ago, just due to availability and size uh, of, of the program. So used to do, do a standard, I think they call it a seven-day co-sync protocol in these heifers. You give them a shot of GNRH, put a seven-day cedar in them, take the cedar out, loot them, watch heats, breed them, give them a shot of GNRH. Very standard, very standard protocol. And the problem I was having, and this was probably four years ago, was that... Um, I was probably only getting maybe a 70% response on 70 to 80% response on heats on those heifers, which isn't bad, but it wasn't great. And then among that, you get 70%, 60, 70% 
of those bred. So 70% of 70% is 49%. So 50% of your herd is bred, you know, takes AI that first round, if you guys follow my math. So 70% of them cycle of those ones that you breed, because I don't time breed. I only breed on heats. I refuse to time breed. And of those 70% of them that get bred on heats, 70% of those will settle. So 70%, 0.7 times 0.7 is 0.49. So you get to 50% breed up. And I was looking for a protocol that would amplify the number of heats I would get because on those remaining 30% of them that didn't show a heat, I would have to recycle them, reset them up or reload them or do something with them. And I was tired of doing that as we started getting a little bit more numbers as all of us, you kind of run out of spots to put stuff and it's just kind of a headache. So you kind of want to do something to be more efficient. So one day, I believe it was Ty Webster I was talking to, we were talking about protocols and he mentioned, uh, that he was talking to a gentleman, um, that sells a bunch of bread heifers, bunch of bread heifers, and that they use this 33 day protocol and how tight it sinks these cattle up. And I can't remember, there's two different versions of this protocol. They're both kind of similar. One of them use MGA, which is a feed through uh, product. And then the other one uses Cedar, which is obviously the progesterone implant, Im- progesterone implant that we're all so familiar with. And Ty's telling me about this protocol and how tight it syncs them up. And really, it's designed to be a, a time breeding situation, I think. But uh, with most time breeding protocols, like the 7 plus 7 that we discussed the other week, you can utilize it to uh, just breed on heats. Just go check heat and breed on heats. So I bring this protocol up to my vet. As a matter of fact, she uses it on a commercial ranch that she works with for time breeding, told me how great it was, blah, blah, blah. We try it and it works like gangbusters. And the way this protocol works is on day zero, you put in a cedar. And I think I used this protocol. I I included this protocol on the Excel sheet I released on our Facebook page. If you click through the Dropbox, there's an Excel sheet to calculate different protocols and things of that nature. I'm pretty sure this one's on there. But for those who haven't looked at that, it is uh, day zero. You put in a cedar. You leave the cedar in for two weeks. You take the cedar out. Two days after you take the cedar out, the whole herd's going to be in heat. You wait 16 days from the day that you took the cedar out. So now you're on day 30. You give them a shot of loot. And then normally in about 54 hours, 48 to 54 hours, you got the whole slug of them in heat. And the concept behind it is you're you're getting them kind of pre-synced with that cedar and then you're getting nice seals on everything and then you're shooting them all with loot. Because if you do like a five or a seven day protocol, and I'm not a reproductive physiologist, but from my understanding, you know, depending on where they are in the cycle, you might not be getting them synced as tight. 
So the first time we used this protocol was like the first time that we probably had a little bit bigger group of heifers and it was lights out. It was crazy. I mean, they were just riding, doing their thing, got them bred. I didn't have to do much sorting, didn't have to do much of anything. It was a tight group. And if I remember correctly, our results were very good. It worked great. But each time we've done that incrementally, I've noticed that our heat drift further and further away from each other. We're getting uh, a wider range of heats. They're not as tight for whatever reason. And then I've also noticed that they are drifting further away. The start time of the heats is drifting further away from the time we gave them loot. Uh, we're doing the protocol the same way every time, but there's been some management changes th- from four years ago. And this is all stuff that I thought about yesterday. And and this is stuff that I think could be helpful um, to think about when things go wrong of, well, what, what's, what has changed? You know, there's the big things, like we said earlier, there's the big things that we think could have gone wrong. But this is where, th- this is kind of where my head's gone because I've went and checked off all these other boxes of things I think I did right. Again, could come on here in a week or two and find out that, you know, my grass was way worse than I thought it was. Or, you know, like I said, I don't know how to breed a cow anymore. All reasonable likelihoods. But this is the path we're on now. So we used to keep those heifers up a lot closer. So the way our our ranch is set up. We're, we're fortunate that everything is contiguous, but we have one main set of crowds and we used to develop those heifers or even when they went to grass, very close one pasture over from those crowds. It's like a 15 or 20 minute endeavor to get them gathered and into these crowds very close. And we used to work with much smaller numbers, you know, 10 or 15 of them, not that many. Now we have those heifers a pretty good slug away from the crows. They're actually um, two or three pastures away to the south. And recently this past uh, winter, we built a small set of crows out there in that pasture. And it's kind of where a few pastures come together to work stuff, but there's no power out there. Um, and there's no shoot. It's, I haven't saved up enough money to put a shoot there. So we have the lane and we just have a old head, uh, old prefert head gate that used to be on my, in my clipping room that I didn't like it for that application. So we cut it off and we have it on the end of this lane. So you can't really even breed them out there right now, but we have a place to catch them. So I'm going to walk you through what these cattle went through and tell you like what my conclusion is. And then of course, if anyone's listening has way more expertise on this than I do chime in. And, but this has kind of been my path le- last few days. So this is what their experience looked like about 45 days before we bred. I boosted them again with their pre breeding vaccine and we gathered them in the pasture that they've been in since we took them out of the bunk line and sent them down to this pasture, this south pasture. And 
we ran them all through this new set of crowls and we gave them their pre-weaning or their, uh, excuse me, their pre-breeding vaccine, poured them, did all that kind of stuff. About two weeks later, we ran them back through and we gave them, um, their cedar. We implanted their cedar out there in these crowds. We just crammed them in the lane and, and, uh, put the cedars in two weeks after that we pulled the cedars and we put them there's a little trap pasture there where i know there's no bulls surrounding them because i know these heifers are going to come into heat it's like a little i don't know 40 acre pasture so we put them in there and they uh have just a raging 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 heat Another good thing about this protocol that I liked about this 33-day protocol is because we're dealing with club calves, I, I tend to think that they mature reproductively a little slower. So that two weeks of progesterone in there uh, really seems like it helps develop those ones and bring on those uh, those ones that would otherwise have a silent heat or just maybe weren't advanced enough or mature enough reproductively. Um, it'll really bring them on. So we got back to the subject we got 41 heifers out there just raging riding hot and doing their thing in this little trap pasture so we let them do that on day you know 16 and 17 and uh when they're kind of done bulling and riding you go out there and i mean it's a hot hot heat and their hair on their tail head is rubbed off raw their hip is rubbed off raw you know their hook bones they're wore down they look awful I'm pretty sure there is uh, no worse look for uh, virgin heifers than the day that they have a heat or the day after. I mean, they look terrible. You kind of you kind of look at them and you you don't even want to breed them. They look so bad. You know, like, I don't even think these are any these are good enough to keep. But I guess we'll go with it. We've already sunk all this time and money into them. We might as well just you know throw some semen at them and see what happens. But anyway, we move them back over to their other pasture. Two weeks later, we gather them back into this set of crowds out there in the middle of the ranch. And because there's no water out there, there's no power. Um, I guess there's water in that trap pasture, but it's really brushy and stuff in there and kind of little difficult. It's not the best trap pasture. I don't know why you'd have a trap pasture with a bunch of brush and stuff, but we do. So, the point being is, um, before we had that set of crowds, when we we're coming out of that pasture, we call that pasture Gordo. When we used to come out of there, we used to run them through these other two pastures. It's a little bit of a drive. Uh, it's not crazy, but it's really just a hassle because you have to push them through a couple other groups of cows normally. And it's just, if you've ever driven a group of heifers, they're morons. They, they're, they don't know what they're doing. It's like herding cats. It's just, they're just idiots. So we have a loadout at these crowds. So we just load them in a trailer and drove them in to the main set of crowds where we're going to loot them and breed them because we have power there. We're set up there. We have our shoot there, all that kind of stuff. So we gather them, we load them, we haul them in, we shoot them with loot. We patch them. We turn them out into this uh, pasture where we're going to breed out of. And like I said, the, there was a delayed response, and it keeps getting pushed out further and further. I don't know why, but you know, normally there's a 48 to 54 hours. It seems like 
when them things normally are in heat and we were out push past 72 when we really started cycling. So if we would have been time breeding, we would have been breeding all these before they even would have ridden, but we don't time breed. So we waited, we waited and we, we bred most of them. I think there was, um, seven of them that didn't cycle seven or eight of them that didn't cycle. So we breed them. Then we, after we breed them, we put them back on the trailer. We drive them out to this pasture. So as you can tell, that is a lot of handling and a lot of movement and a lot of stress on those cattle. And I don't think it would have been as bad if those cattle were up close in a pasture closer to the main corral, or if we could work out of the other corral and utilize those facilities out there better. Because I talked to my buddy, John DeClerc, and uh, he's been on this podcast. We brought him up before, but about, hey, this is my theory. I think I moved those cattle around. And I think there was just way too much stress. Their body condition, I thought, was good. Their mineral was good, even though their intake was down. It's always down out here in the spring because the forage is so lush that they don't really consume much mineral. I'm assuming that if you were to bleed them or do a liver sample, that, that they would have an appropriate amount of mineral. Uh, you know, that the levels would be good in their blood and their liver. But, you know, every time you work them, every time you handle them, you're inducing stress and you're depleting nutrition out of their bodies. And I said, I think I really screwed up by loading those cattle in a trailer and stressing them and really loading them twice, once on the way in, once on the way out. Because again, if my nutrition and mineral program was really that bad, I wouldn't have had any of them bred. But I still, they still bred. They just didn't breed the first time. It's not the semen. I don't think it's the technician. I don't think it's my mineral and nutrition program. I think it's the amount of times that I've handled them. And I didn't take that into account from the way I, I, kind of evolved over the years of where we have to where we're putting things so to make i guess i i can't say to make a long story short i've been yammering at you for 45 minutes about this story so i made a long story long but i guess where my head is at is if i'm going to continue to use this 33 day protocol then i would need to not bring those cattle move them around so much. I would not need to bring them in. And really, even if I switch protocols, I probably need to consider not moving those. If I'm going to continue to develop them in this Gordo pasture, I need to continue to, I need to consider not bringing them to the main center corrals to breed them. And if I do maybe drive them in instead, um, because last year, we had a good heifer breed up and we use the same protocol, but we drove them in because we didn't have those pens built out there last summer. So maybe that has something to do it with it. Um, and we use the same protocol, same everything. We just didn't load the cattle on a, on a gooseneck to bring them in. We just drove them in and drove them through pairs and all sorts of stuff. And it was kind of a pain in the, you know what, but, Regardless, I need to consider the amount that I'm handling them and how I'm handling them because I think I think that we underestimate how much stress we put those cattle under when we load them onto trailers 
whether that's a show steer, cow, donor, anything, I think it's a tremendous amount of stress. And when you, when you, you know, you can get down the weeds, uh, and John was explaining how, you know, the blood urea nitrogens, uh, get inflated and any sort of, you know, changes in diet and eating habits, which there was some of that. They go from one pasture to the other. And then anytime you stress them, you have inflated cortisol levels and you're basically signaling to the animal that now is not the opportune time for embryonic survival. Don't breed, don't breed. So I think, I think that has an impact on how much I handled them. I think that negatively impacted me. Thinking about the protocol in general, Hold on one second. I'm going to take a drink of water. Thinking about the protocol in general, the whole reason that I switched to this protocol was to tighten up my heats and get a maximum number of cattle to cycle. And considering that the last couple times I've done it, I've seen this trend of of the heats being dispersed more and further away from the time we hit them with loot. I think I should not be using that protocol anymore because I'm not getting any advantage from it because I'm, I'm uh, running them through the shoot a couple extra times and I'm not getting any more of them in heat. Like I said, I think I bred 32 of them and I had seven or eight of them that, uh, seven or eight or nine that I had to recycle. So that's not any better than it used to be. So what's the, I guess the only advantage that I would be getting is having that two week cedar in them to kind of bring them along and, uh, you know, mature the reproductive tract a little bit and, and kind of get them precinct. That's a good thing. But if it's not bringing any more of them into heat, and maybe part of that has to do with all the handling, you know, maybe that's, maybe that's the issue. Maybe they, and I didn't even think about that till right now. What if the issue is because we're handling them too much and movement, you know, well, I guess we didn't handle them after we took the cedar out. Now that I think about it, we just took the cedar out. They should have been fine. But for whatever reason, we're not grouping the heats up as tight as we used to. We're not getting as many of them to cycle as we used to using this protocol. So what is the purpose of handling them that many times for that length of time, moving them around when you could use a five or a seven day uh, co-sync protocol and get the same number of them in heat and potentially more of them AI bread. So that is my thought process. If anyone wants to chime in, chirp me, whatever, I'm all for it. Let me know what you guys think. But we, this, I, I guess the reason I wanted to share this is this is real time. Something didn't go as planned. We're going to have these episodes and, or these moments. I keep saying episodes, and I think that's probably getting confusing as to if I'm talking about the actual episode I'm recording or an experience, but we have these moments in time where things don't go right. And we're going to continue to have those moments. So it's always trying to figure out what the next step is. Where do we go from here? How do we make things better? Fortunately for me in this circumstance, in this moment, 
It's not going to be a deal breaker. We still got them bred. That's my ultimate goal is that they're bred. They're going to have calves. They're just maybe, you know, 10 or 12 of them that should have been AI bred based on statistics that we didn't get. And that's frustrating. And, and you want, you, you expect, uh, to have better results and it, it's a gut punch when you don't. So anyway, this episode turned out to be way longer and I thought it was going to be. Thanks for hanging in there, folks. I appreciate it again. Sorry it's delayed, but I, I hope you guys are getting value out of, of these types of episodes I've been doing. Uh, at least the people that have made contact, um, seem to appreciate it. I haven't had too many barbs thrown at me, so that's pretty cool, but I've enjoyed talking about this stuff and I've enjoyed, um, just kind of coming in the recording booth and talking about what's what's whatever it is that's on my mind and the thought processes and things that are happening and, and how we can improve as a business and within our own individual businesses so that's been fun for me so anyway as always shootsidepodcast at gmail.com if you want to make contact with us a lot of people message us on our social media. That's cool too. Shoot side podcast, Facebook, Instagram. Uh, if you like what you're hearing, give us a review and preferably a five star rating. There's a ton of five stars and it's super humbling, super grateful for that. Whatever listening platform you're on, smash that five star button. If you want to rock some merch, I think there's a link on the Facebook for the merch store. Get you a sticker, get you a tank top, whatever. But anyway, thank you for listening. Thank you for tuning in. And uh, we'll have an episode next week because I'm about to record it right now. And uh, we'll kind of try to keep this thing rolling. But anyway, thank you guys. Much appreciated. We'll talk to you next time.